I'd like you to open your Bibles tonight to two places in the New Testament, Mark chapter 9 and Matthew 17. I want to look at those two places. For nearly 40 years in my life, the word faith in the Bible has played a significant role. I've seen the effects of biblical faith in my pursuit of it. I have found a measure of it, and I know the peace and the joy that can be had when a man is able to have faith in God, the kind of faith the Bible speaks of, the kind of faith that brings results. It is my desire that all people have such a faith, not pattern anybody's faith after mine or yours or anybody else's. In all the time we go to church and the years we've been doing this and all of our study and everything, that out of all of this, would emerge and come forth what the Bible calls faith that not only relates us to God, but makes us pleasing to God so that we all live in his favor or grace. You really need that in this life. I don't think we'll ever stop studying it. I don't think we'll ever leave the subject alone because of the prominence of the word throughout the scriptures. The disciples said, Lord, why couldn't we cast this demon out? He said, because of the littleness of your faith. Lord, look, the fig tree that you cursed is dying. He said, have faith in God. Peter began walking on the water and he began to sink. And Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. Two blind men followed him one day all day. And he said, what do you want? They said, we want to be healed. And he said, be it unto you according to your faith. In Acts 14, Paul saw a man sitting in a congregation. He never walked, but perceiving that he had faith to be healed, he said to him, and a man was healed. And all through the Bible, when the Son of Man returns in Luke chapter 18, think of this, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? I know he'll find good people, he'll find well-intentioned people, socially proper people, nice people. I know he'll find that because there's a lot of people like that. Not a huge amount, but there's a lot of really nice people. But what he's looking for is not busy people, not active people. He's looking for faith. And so it is really imperative and necessary that as Christians, we not only hear about what it is, but that we deal with it. Because if you don't have what you see in the Bible, then what was it Jesus said, seek and what? He said, knock and what? Ask and what? It shall be given. So nobody has excuses saying, well, I wanted it, but I never got it. Well, I wanted to do it, but I never. You can't say that because God says, you pursue and you'll find. You may be along the way tested and feel disappointed. The devil will give you reasons to think that it doesn't work, this faith stuff. But if you'll hold fast, God will turn your nights into days He'll bless you when you go out, and he'll bless you when you come in, and you'll see it the way it's supposed to be, and you'll be blessed. But it's a question that I can tell you after 40 years of being a Christian, 42, 43, a long time. And right off the bat, we heard about how to trust God, which meant nothing to me at the time because as far as I knew, like most of you, if you go to church, you have faith. If you've been baptized in water, you have faith. If you believe in God, you have faith. And what's next? But as I begin to hear about it and begin to read about it, somebody began to teach on it. And because I was saved, I listened and I paid attention 
And I began to see things I'd never seen before. I began to realize things I'd never realized before. And literally, a whole new life was being given to me. I was invited to live a life that, to me, was just something that somebody else did. And it became clear that God was speaking to me, that he was offering me what Jesus described as an abundant life. I don't know how much that word means to very many Christians, but he was offering to me an abundant life. Or like the psalmist said, he was willing to satisfy your mouth, your ears with good things. That it was my father's good pleasure to give unto me his kingdom. And he said, forget not the Lord and all of his benefits. He not only saves you, but he heals you. Same verse. Crowns you with loving kindness. He'll love you the rest of your life. He'll bless you when you go out and bless you when you come in. Everything you put your hand to, your father will cause it to prosper. Now, people frown on that today. They think we're overdoing this. They think we're overstating it because most people measure God by what they see in people. If they don't see a lot of this and a lot of that, they don't figure God's doing this or that because these people go to church. They don't have all of that stuff. But he did not say go to church and you believe. A lot of people get talked out of their faith in church. But he says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That's the premium. A lot of people hear the word, but faith doesn't come. Now, that's what we're dealing with. I want to talk tonight for a while, maybe next week too. I don't know how far we'll get tonight, but the faith that God gives his own, the faith that God gives his own, it's different than the world's understanding of faith, but the faith that God gives to his own people. Remember, we walk by faith and not by sight. The just shall live by faith. If you have faith and doubt not, you shall move mountains, trees. You'll be protected. It's amazing how much the Bible says what is available to us, but it's always conditioned by faith. Now, most everybody mentally agrees with that, but they're always saying, I agree with all that. I know I have faith, but nothing happens. Well, maybe the faith you say you have is not exactly what God calls faith. We call what we have faith, and it better be good. And don't you preach against it. Let it be that God changed his mind, didn't want us to have it, other than tell me I don't have faith. But maybe it is that what we have considered to be faith has been nothing more than church membership. Reading a Bible, saying a prayer. Maybe that's what we've considered to be faith. Have you found Mark 9 yet? Mark 9 and verse 23, a classic verse. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Is it really? I wonder how many people really, really, really believe that. In the text here, this man said, Lord, if you can do anything, and Jesus in response is saying, if I can believe. No. All things are possible to whoever believes. All things are possible. You think of all the things that you'd like to see changed and done in your life, the things that you need in your life, a, a physical thing, a family thing, a domestic child rearing, a bill thing, a fearful physical thing, 
something's come up and uh, it doesn't feel right, doesn't look good. Whatever the thing is. You know what Jesus said? He said, if thou canst, what? What's possible? All things. In fact, in Mark 11, in verse 24, he said, what things soever you desire. What could you desire? That's not a ticket to believe for anything you think you want to just shoot the moon. Because we're talking here about the kind of desire that comes from a relationship with God. He said, what things ever you desire when you pray, believe, accept the fact that you have received it, even though you can't see it because faith is a evidence of things not seen, but you believe you've got it. You can't see it. You can't feel it. The conditions haven't changed. You don't feel any better, but you believe. This is what makes people upset with us is that we act like we have something it doesn't look like you have. But then again, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I've never seen the book. I had to get on myself on occasion when I don't act like it's in there. I think, man, I've had a, a rough day today, and I just blew my stack once too many, and I thought, Lord, that ain't the way a man ought to act. This guy's name in the book. But my name is in that book. He said, what things have you desired when you pray? Believe you have them. And what? If when you pray, you believe you've got something you can't see, feel, taste, touch, smell, or hear, your senses have nothing to do with this. It's a spiritual thing. He said, if you believe you've got something you can't relate to, if you believe you've got it, then what? That's the hard part. If I believe I'm saved... I cannot tell you my name is written in the Lamb's book of life because I've seen it there. I have to believe this, just like you do. I have to believe my name is in there, and I'm willing, because I believe it's there, I'm going to act like it's there because that's evidence that it's there. So I'm going to act like it's there. So you see, faith is one of those things that when you hear it and you understand it, you respond to it. You do what it says, and that's what God will call faith. You don't find a lot of that in the church. You find evidences of it in a lot of people, but you don't find a lot of evidence of it because there's a certain kind of fear that what God said he might not do. And we're not that close to God where we're sure he'll do it. We want him to do it and we kind of hold back. We hope he does, but that's not faith. Hoping it works isn't what the Bible calls faith. Faith is the very substance of things, but the word hope in the Bible means expectation. The very thing that gives evidence that you believe God is that you're expecting it to happen. It'll come out of your mouth. It'll be the way you act, the way you talk. Oh, yeah, I'm believing God. It's like the guy that went to the healing meeting years ago, I heard this. His stomach was about all gone, and he was dying. So he packed a lunch, and he went to the healing meeting. Somebody said, what are you going to do with that lunch? He said, I'm going to eat it. He said, well, you can't eat. Your stomach's about gone. He said, I'll eat this tonight. And that night he got healed and he ate his lunch. Everybody said, well, what about that? Isn't that something? <laughs> Matthew 17 and verse 20. Why couldn't we cast him out? He said, because of your unbelief. Well, verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible to you. 
Everybody in this room wants that kind of power in your life. Every one of you do. Every one of you do. And it's offered to us. It's right there in my Bible. It's in red. Is yours in red? If you have a red letter Bible, that means Jesus said it. And if he said it and he cannot lie, then what he said is so. If, if I'm willing to have faith as a grain of mustard seed and so on and so forth. Yet so many people come up short. You know they do and I do. There's been many grievous for me anyway, in this church through the years, had some very difficult moments because it didn't work. It never does not work because God changed his mind. But it's very difficult to tell somebody it didn't work, but it wasn't God's fault because that sounds condemning. But the point of it is, let God be true. Let every man have enough of the real thing in his heart to admit that it's not God's fault, it has to be mine. And so let me make sure this never happens again and dig down in there and get to the bottom of whatever the problem is and deal with it. Because he said, nothing should be impossible to you. Nothing. Now, again, too many people come up short there. So we asked the question for the 2,000 times since I've been here, where does this real faith come from and where do you get it? Now, you should know that because faith in its most simple definition says it is simply taking God at his word and acting like it's true. If you have faith, if you have the real deal, now anybody can act like this. Anybody can go this far. I'm going to act like the word is true. A lot of people started, not all of them finished, but you get back again to faith. It is taking God at his word, counting on him to do it, acting like it's true. Now, how do you get this faith? Let me ask you a question. Does Bible faith come from within you or from outside of you? Now, before you answer outside, have we not said it's an act of your will to count on God? Don't we all have a will? Well, then is it possible for us, all of us, to count on God? Now, I'm not trying to trick anybody up there. I do want you to think. It'd be a bunch of thinking people and know what you believe, not what I said. I am nobody's conscience. You know what you believe and not what you were told to believe. Find out for yourself. I'm asking the question. Does real Bible faith come from within you? It is the use of your will to count on God. All men have one. That's why we're judged of what we do with our will. We live by choices. All of us in this room are where we are tonight because of the choices that we have made. Our life is an example of the choices that I have made. I am the choices I've made. Now, if I choose to walk with God, wouldn't you call that faith? Can anybody do that? Can every man who has a will do that? A faith teacher, a prominent faith teacher once said, Faith is nothing more than you reading the word and doing what it said. You agree with that? I don't answer. You read the Bible, you read the word, that says right there, whatever it says, that's what you do. Another prominent faith teacher said, well, actually you need a revelation, a special revelation of that word in order to believe it. 
Now, I remember this controversy, and I'm going there in just a little bit, uh, back in the 70s, in the early 80s, that loomed over this issue, which in my words, it said, does faith come from within you? Is it a natural thing? Or does it come from outside of you? Is it a normal, natural thing for me to have faith? Can I not put 50 cents in a Coke machine and believe it pops coming out? Can I not drive down the road and believe that the car coming at me and the guy knows how to drive or the lady knows how to drive? Or whoever's in it knows how to drive? Can I not believe that if I open a can of pop and drink it that I will not die right then? Do I not have to believe when I put gas in my car that that actually is gas? Do I not have to believe when I buy something to eat that it's not tainted? I'm believing all the time. Wouldn't we call that natural faith? Actually, it's called common sense too, but it is in the sense realm. And it's normal, common. And people who have get up in the morning walking through the day since, we call having common sense because they figure things out and they don't wrestle with whether or not they just do it. Rudy's done it. Man's jumped out of an airplane. I don't know who folds the thing. I hope he was paying attention. I don't know who wrapped it up. I don't know who hooked my chains up, whatever you do to get out of an airplane at so many thousand feet. I do hope that when I go out that door and I'm doing like this in the air, I do hope everything I'm wearing works. But I did not stop at the door and say, now before I go, would y'all take this thing off and make sure it's folded right? As far as I know, they all just jump. You ever ridden on an airplane? How do you know the guy can fly the thing? The time you get on there, they shut the door so they don't have to look at you. And there's more gauges and lights up on that dash. It looks like a modern technological Christmas tree all over the place. And the moment you get on that plane and sit down, it's out of your hands. Your faith is in that pilot. And not only in that pilot, because his faith is in that aircraft made by the lowest bidder. And they're believing this thing's going to get off the ground and fly. If you had a little calculator and you had the numbers in front of you, you can begin to figure out how much jet fuel's on this plane at eight pounds so a gallon times that. I did this going to Australia once, and how many people's on this plane? One, two, three, 300 and some people. 300 and some people averaging 130, 40, 50 pounds apiece. Luggage has to be at least international flight. It must be 70, 80 pounds of luggage. And overhead compartments, if those overhead compartments ever fell, the plane would crash. I get a million pounds over your head up there. You figure out how much food and stuff they got on this airplane, how much the airplane itself weighs, how much the fuel weighs, how much the people weigh. You have to believe it'll fly. But you've got natural sense. I remember flying once down the South Pacific in a storm. It always a storm down there. And these big engines out here like this here were just kind of doing this here in the wings, doing like this here. I thought they flew the other way. And the best thing to do is just shove the curtain and say, thank you, Jesus. Everybody that got on that plane, every soul that got on that plane believed it would fly. If they didn't believe it would fly, they'd never gotten on it. If they had all been Christians and that had been God, they'd have been outsiders saying, well, now, I don't know about this. They would have never gotten off the ground. They just got on the plane and flew it. 
They ate what was set before them. Our whole life is lived in faith. Our whole life is lived by the choices that we made. Now, bringing that into Christianity, can the same natural unsaved people have faith in God? A lot of you don't know how to answer that. If I live by faith in so many ways in this natural realm, can I apply the same thing to the supernatural realm? Or is it supernatural? When I was coaching basketball years ago in Raceland, Kentucky, over in the tri-state area, Ohio and West Virginia and Kentucky, my first year I coached, I had a little book my brother had given me called The Power of Positive Thinking. And it was written by a man who was gifted in his writing, very inspiring book. It wasn't written to Christians. It was written as a motivational thing. And I read it, and it would give you verses of the Bible to quote this every morning. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then realize as you go out into life that you can do all things because God has made you this way. Well, I wasn't a Christian. I was a churchgoer. But I started thinking like that. It kind of got me so fired up. I thought, I'm going to be successful at this coaching. Boy, they don't know what they got. So I want you boys to pass this book around. I want you all to read it. And they did. How'd the season go? Well, <laughs> uh -uh. we were 20 and four. I was a hot shot, buddy. I'll tell you that. Not because I was any good. They were good. Point of it is, can I take spiritual principles as an unsaved man make application of them in my life and follow God? Can I do that or must God do something in order for that to work? About the faith teacher who said all you have to do, he said what's required about faith is you read what it says in this book. And if it says I can do all things through Christ, then you can do all things through Christ because he said you could, so you ought to act like you can do all things through Christ. You know what? If that's true... I don't need to be saved to do that. All I need to be able to do is read that. If I can read that, all right, I can do that. So begin to act like that's true. Well, if that's true, if it's true like that, as I said it, then as Paul said in Romans 5.1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Then I, as an unsaved man, can have peace with God because I can take him at his word. I think we all should have a problem with that because there has to be more to having faith in God than being able to read. There's got to be more to it than that. It has to go deeper than that. If faith comes from within me, if faith is something I naturally have because I have a will and the power of choice and I can choose God or I can reject God because all sinners make one or the other. You choose God... You choose because of something God has drawn you to and he changes your life and saves you. You choose not to please God. You make your own decisions in life. I don't want to go tonight. I don't want to go. I don't want to believe that. I'm not going to. But that's your choices. That's the way you live. That's the way we live. We live by choices. Now, if faith is entirely from within me as a natural thing, then I do not have to be a Christian to have faith in God because all I have to do again is read and act. I know people have done this. 
It didn't last long because it wasn't in their heart. But if faith is outside of me, biblical faith, if it comes from outside of me, then it's not something within me and something that must be given to me. Are you with me? If Bible faith has to be given to me, then it's a gift. It was something I do not have. I have a will and I have a natural understanding about life, but when it comes to spiritual things, I need something outside of myself to engage in something spiritual. Turn to 1 Corinthians 2. We'll see if we can answer this some more. It has to come from God. There's only two sources, God or the devil, and the devil isn't going to give me something to please God with, is he? You know, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. So, if faith must come from outside of me, then it's something that I don't have, then it has to be given to me. And if it's given to me by God, then we call it grace. Or as my ancestors would say, grace. Well, it's grace. I had to say that. My Irish blood. Grace. Grace is a gift from God. When God bestows his grace upon somebody, they get something. Grace is favor. It's how we got saved. We did not choose him. What did he do? He chose us. Why? I don't know why. It's part of his purpose. But when he chose us, he did something specific with us that we could not do ourselves. He gave us something we did not have. And the something he gave us was the ability to believe that he is. That he is. We've heard about him all our life and assumed it. But suddenly it becomes different. It's a different dimension. He is. And there's something there that we don't know much about, but there's a hunger that comes with this working of God that makes you want to know more. That's why you seek more. If you don't have that, then whatever little bit any of us have is enough. You know, I'm all right. I'm all right. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now, can a man naturally know this? No. He can know a lot of things, can he? But he cannot know this. Why? Because it's not natural knowledge. Verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For his spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. How can a man know something spiritual? How can a man know something spiritual? God must show him. Let me ask you a question. Is faith... Spiritual. Faith in God. Is it a spiritual thing? Then if it's a spiritual thing and not a natural thing for the fourth time, it's something you don't have that you had to get. But you couldn't get it by looking for it. It had to be given to you because it's not something you can find on this earth. It's not of natural origin. It's spiritual. 
It's just like knowledge. Knowledge is not natural. You can read books and volumes. You go to seminary, cemetery. You go all these places you want to go to. And you can learn and read and make A's and B's. And you can acquire a lot of really great knowledge and know a lot of wonderful things. But you can never know it the right way until God shows it to you. Now, I admire learned people that spend their time learning about the Bible. That's a better subject to study than anything else. But you cannot, by searching, find out God. But Jeremiah said, if you seek me, you'll find me. But if you're not hunger and thirst after me, you don't seek after me, you'll just have an idea, a concept. Remember I talked about conceptual religion a long time ago? People have a concept of God. They have an idea the way they think he should be, and that becomes their doctrine. That becomes their theology. Well, this is how I see it, and that's the way they live. But if it doesn't measure up to the word, what does Isaiah 8.20 says? If they speak not according to this word... They have no light. Now, anybody can pick up the Bible and read it, but only by the Spirit can you understand it. Multitudes of good people have spent many hours with booklets and manuals and workbooks and gone through that and sought and later their life's still the same 20 years later. Something didn't come out of all that. A young teenager can get saved and turn to the Bible and suddenly light floods his soul like, boy, he just begins to grow. Everybody just looks at him and say, wow, where did he come from? Well, the same place we all should have come from. It's the Spirit of God taking a hungry man or soul, boy or girl, and feeding it with the Word of God. You can't get it any other way. Again, verse 12, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. This is what we want to know. These are the things which God has given to us. Show me what they are, Lord. In other words, you cannot know them any other way. You cannot. There is no other way that you can. Look at verse 14. This is why. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And how many times have you shared something with somebody who thought, well, that's crazy? They say something like, well, that's crazy. Where'd you get that? People who have no perception of God. Everything is natural. Everything is natural. The way we view God, the way we view religion, the way we view salvation, heaven, everything's in a natural realm. That's why people are spending buku's amounts of dollars to try to prove the Bible is true or prove there really is a Noah's Ark or prove this. Or if you believe it, you don't have to prove any of it to me. I don't believe it more because you prove it. Well, they found a clay jar in the Qumran caves, and they found in there a full book of Isaiah, just like in the King James Bible. Well, that doesn't make me believe it better. If they had never found that clay jar, I'd still believe this book. I can't make any of it true. I don't have enough scholastic whatever it takes to not looking for that either to prove this book is true because I don't have to. My natural desire to make something natural doesn't make it more believable. As a associate pastor told me once, I've shared this with you, he explained how, how the Jordan River opened up. 
how the planets lined up, causing this and that in the atmosphere. Everything's natural. The planets line up. There's nothing supernatural about it. God isn't even involved in it. It's all natural. The church is full of a natural knowledge. They call it faith. We have how many different churches on how many different corners in America? Everybody has his view of what's right and what's wrong. If you go into some church and you talk about tongues, you know, you're immediately out. You're one of those that, you know, the slobber comes off your lip and your eyes go back, you know. You're one of them. It's just like we have what we want to have, we want no more. Or if you start talking about controversial things, if you begin to say, you know, we're not politicians. Church is not a political thing. Church is a spiritual thing. It's an organism. It's not geared to running a natural world with supernatural means. God doesn't do that. The world will run the world. We will seek the kingdom of God. We're sojourners and pilgrims. That's what we're here for. We'll pray for the government. I know how offensive that is. You mean you're not? What are you? Are you R or D? I'm C. Democrat, Republican, what's C? Conceited? No, it's Christian. I just pray and then God puts whoever in there, whoever he wants. Whoever he wants. And you can stand on a corner and yell at your brother across the aisle there who's not the same thing you are and condemn him and all you want to, but God will put there who he wants there. He can judge a nation with a leader. Or he can bless a nation with a leader. When righteousness rules in a nation, there is peace in the land. But there's too much natural understanding, natural knowledge, natural, 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 explainable human eye. We want to bring God down to a natural level and explain with natural means all the spiritual things about God. But we can't do that. Because we read this book and we realize, I can't believe this. I can't make this work. I can read this. I can't make it work anymore than I can read Reader's Digest and make that work. All I can do is simply to count on the author of this verse to perform it for me. I'm solely dependent on him. Lord, if you don't do it, it's over. I mean, if you don't do it, it's over. So the natural man, he said again in verse 14, the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit. He can't. Do you all get this? He cannot. Didn't say they're bad people, nothing. It has nothing to do with inferiority or superiority. It has to do with what it said. A natural man, an unsaved, unregenerate, non-born-again man, but a good, decent, intellectual, smart, heady, clever person cannot receive the things of the Spirit. Because, let's finish it, their foolishness to him, neither can he know them. Why? They are spiritually discerned. That's the difference. The word of God is like a two-edged sword, the Bible says, that when it goes in, it separates between what is natural and what is spiritual. It discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God locates you. It tells you. The preacher doesn't have to. The word, if you receive it, it will describe to you the kind of person you are. 
whether we're trying to make this work for us. People do it all the time, this faith stuff. They try to learn the five points of this or the four points of that so they can get out of debt and get one of these and go there and have that. And see how much they can get and prosperity. Woo! And they leave out the spirit part. That's the relationship with God. And life becomes selfish and self-centered with spiritual things here. You think, how in the world do they get like that? Well, they've been taught like that. If faith is a gift, it's the kind of faith that the Bible speaks about initially is given to us as a gift, then it's a gift with a purpose. God gave it with a purpose. The purpose of faith is to not only draw you to him, but to enable you to fellowship with him and to receive from him. What does the verse say? He that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now, if he is to you, then he is. And God is not something ordinary. God is something outside of you that's bigger than you. If you know he is, most people may not, but if you know that he is, then he said this, you know that also that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And you will seek him if you have met him. If you've encountered God, you'll never forget it. You won't get tired of it. You won't get enough of it. I've been in this thing for years, longer than most of you have. And I can honestly say I can get excited about it as much today as I could then back when. I mean, it's still, whoo, because it's been real. Been challenged my whole life. I don't know about all that stuff. I know you don't know all about that stuff because it's still stuff. Stuff is natural. Stuff is normal. What I'm trying to talk about is something that is outside of both of us that a natural-minded church can't understand this, neither can a natural-minded man. These are spiritually discerned and understood and grasped. But when the Spirit of God comes in and he chooses you out, and he says, I am going to bestow upon you an understanding that you could not otherwise have. I'm going to show you something that you could not find by searching. And he opens your eyes. And when your eyes get open, boom. You go, wow. Is this faith we're talking about really a gift? Or maybe I'm making that up. Is there a place we can prove that? Ephesians? Chapter 2. Maybe it's chapter 2. Look over there, please. I know you've been there before. This is a good verse of Scripture. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9. How many people in evangelical circles have memorized this with good reason? It's a gift, folks. With this gift, we're saved. With this gift, we are born again. And without this gift, no matter how hard I try to be a good man, I cannot be a good man. Only God who is good, the source of anything that's good. God only is good. And only from God can anything good come to a man. And if God doesn't give it, then you're never good. You're good in the eyes of everybody else. We're told how good you are at your funeral. 
But it's God who says that the steps of a good man ordered by the Lord, which implies that a man is good because of something God has done, not because of his natural understanding. For by grace, through faith, are you saved, and that, not of yourselves, is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's what the natural man does. That's what a natural man makes his religion out to be, something he's proud of, something he can look at, something he can boast about, something he can feel good about. And yet, when you come to God, listen to me. The man who comes to God comes empty. You have nothing to boast of. You were never good enough. You'll never be good enough. In fact, you could only come here because God drew you. You believe that? Well, see, I used to think when I was a young man and I'd go to church and I'd hear things in the church that really bothered me because I knew it was right. Man, I'm in my early 20s and I am absolutely too frisky to get this bogged down in religion. Here's what I'll do. When I get up there, oh, 80, 80 something, and I'm looking at this chair a lot more than I used to on the porch, I'll get real religious and then I'll go to heaven. I realize this, no man can come to God when he wants to. The only way you can come to God is if God draws you. You can go to church. You can go to church and sing the songs. You can preach the sermons. You can go to seminary and preach. But you can never be what God wants you to be unless God does it. Only God can do this. Only God can do it. Well, then how does this faith come? Let's go to our favorite verse after this. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You know where it is? Romans 10 and verse 17. So then, he said, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, I want to take a little bit of time tonight. I want to go back 30 years. I want to go back 30 years. How many of you are not 30 yet? All right, before y'all were born. In my Christian experience, this verse became a verse from which a controversy arose, this along with some other things. And it became quite an issue. I remember when it first came up, I listened very carefully at this because now as in, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to find myself following a movement, a popular man, or some hard-headed doctrine I just can't give up. I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. And Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. There was this thing came up called the Logos, L-O-G-O-S, and Rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Now, in the Greek, this Rhema over here has an H sound. It's Harema. And nobody says that. We just call it Rhema. And you've seen the word. You hear a lot of churches have this name on the front of their church. And there's schools, the Rhema school. And so it came forth out of the difference that was made in that day between what logos means, which is translated word, and what rhema means, which is also translated word. The logos is used in the Bible 330 times. This word is used 77 times. They begin to make quite a distinction out of because of the way it was used in key verses or in several verses in the New Testament. And because of that, there was a great stirring because what they wound up saying was 
let me quote what one of these guys said that was writing in those days about why the Ramah crowd, the Ramah camp, was more accurate than the other camp, which had been the one I was in, campsite now, but it was a camp then. He said this, it is presumptuous to say you can claim the promises by faith. God alone decides when he gives you faith. Then I wrote down as a note, then if I'm only able to believe when God decides he ought to give me something like that, then he cannot judge me for unbelief. Remember the disciples were asleep in the back of the boat. And they woke him up and said, Master, carest thou not that we're perishing? Mark 4, the end of the chapter. They said, carest thou not that we're perishing? And he woke up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and the sea became still. And he said to his disciples, he said, how is it they should have had it by then? They'd been with him long enough to have faith. But he said to them, how is it you have no faith? What if one of them had popped up and said, well, I didn't have a rhema for that. I didn't have this rhema word because this is where the issue is. Now, what exactly is logos and rhema? A lot of you young folks were not here when this was an issue. It was quite a stir. And uh, I just want to familiarize you with some of these terms. And then, so if you hear it again, you'll at least know what it's about or what we're saying. Because they both mean word. In the beginning, in John 1, in the beginning was the Lagos. The Lagos was God. The Lagos in verse 14 of John 1 became flesh. So he's the living Lagos. The word probably means revelation as much as anything. It has many definitions by scholars, and I'm not one. But it probably means revelation because the Lagos is a word of God. And anytime God speaks, he declares something. Something is revealed when he speaks to his people. Now, this is not the way you describe Horema here, but there are those who say this other word, Horema, is what you heard, I guess you'd say, you, what you heard of what he said. That part of what he said that you remembered and that you understood. Now, you can't exactly fault that either because many times we've heard a lot of things that we didn't hear. We heard a sermon for the third time, for example, and you said, you know, I never heard that before. Or you said when you heard something for the first time, it stuck. You said, well, I never heard that quite like that before. Now, that's what they were saying. But you see, the Bible uses these two words interchangeably. One place in the Bible that Jesus used the word rhema, and the other place in the Bible in the same thing in Luke's gospel Remember Peter, when he betrayed Christ in Matthew 26, the rooster crowed, and the Bible says Peter remembered the rhema of the Lord. In Luke's account, he said, when the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the log. So they're the same thing. I mean, when you use them that way, it's hard to make a distinction in here. But if there's a movement built around a word, then people begin adding things to it that shouldn't be there. Rhema signifies a constituent part of a speech or writing as distinguished from the contents as a whole. Now, I understand that because I've had that experience like you probably have. I might have heard you speak a lot of words tonight, but 
a sentence you said earlier in the middle of the sentence or towards the end, that stuck with me and I took that home with me. I know you said a bunch of other things. I can't remember it, but I remember this. Have you ever had that? That's legitimate. I didn't hear everything you said. I don't remember everything I've read, but some of these things here just jump out. I guess I was more interested in it or, or something, but some of it just simply was there. Now, I can understand that. And you could say, well, then this is what that means. This word harema here means it's a word which comes to you from the logos, and without this word, you can't have faith. Now, when you start talking that way, you're getting on the edge. Because what you're saying is you can dismiss or excuse yourself from not exercising faith in what God is showing you because you don't have a specific word for that. Well, I guarantee you this. On Judgment Day, Jesus said it's the Logos, not a special word. It's the Logos that will judge you. Because what God speaks to us is his word. You can call it Logos or Harema, but it's his word. But again, let me show you how they make a case with some things here. Turn to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, and I'll explain what they say as to make this doctrine. Matthew 4 and verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema, rhema of God, which means this. Man cannot live by all the things that he's ever heard, but those things specifically which God has shown him that's captured his heart, that's all he can. You can't live on what you don't know. You can't act like something's true if you don't know it. But when God shows it to you and you know it, that's what your faith is built on. I can't argue with that either. I really can't because I found that to be true in my life. Or Luke chapter 1. Go to two books over to the right. Luke chapter 1 and verse 37. Talking about Mary. She said, for with God, nothing is impossible. Now, the word nothing is actually with two words. Thing is the word rhema. It is implying for the word of God is what makes the thing. It's the word of God that brings forth what he said he would bring forth. And so they would preach it like this. So then with God, no word that he's revealed to you, nothing that has been made clear to you, nothing that he has shown you, is unable to work. It does work. But only what you know. That's the way God does it. John chapter 6. Just go next book over. John chapter 6 and look at verse 63. Jesus talks about his words. He says, for my words are spirit and life. Does your Bible say that? My words are spirit and life. And they would say it like this. That part of the word that God reveals to you and shows you that part which you can have faith in, have faith for, is given to you by the Spirit of God. This is why the life you have is what it is and means what it does because you have been enhanced. You've had this revelation of the Lord to your heart about something he said. You still don't remember everything God has said. He said a lot of things, but you remember some of these things so much that your faith is grounded in those things. His words are spirit and life. Go to chapter 8. John chapter 8. Look at verse 47. 
John chapter 8 and verse 47. He that is of God heareth God's words. Now here, this word rhema here, it's a spoken word, isn't it? It's not an inside word heard. He that heareth God's words. This is what God has said. But look in verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my logos. Same thing. So see, we can't make a distinction between these two words and build a doctrine around it and dismiss people who don't believe by saying, well, you don't have a rhema for healing, so you can't be healed. If you come to the Lord and you seek after God, he'll show you what he'll do. And healing is one of the things that's in the Bible. So that you'll be without excuse. And that will he gave you that you exercise yourself in the natural realm with is the same will you will exercise yourself in the spiritual realm with. You will choose to believe God. It's something you can do because God has shown you something you've never seen before. You see something the way God has shown it to you. Jesus said, you cannot hear my words because you don't know me. Verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot. Is that what he said? Let me ask you all a question while you're looking at that. If a man cannot hear a word that's being spoken, you hear the sound of words, you heard what the preacher said, and you made him say that was good and all that, but you hear the sound of words, but you don't understand it, then do you need something from God in order to understand it? So that the word has meaning and importance to you. It's not just Sunday meeting. The word becomes life. It's what you count on. It's what you depend on. It's what you stand on. It's what you hold fast to. Chapter 15 and verse 7. Keep going. It gets better. If you abide in me and this harema abides in you, you'll ask what you will and it shall be done. Which is meant to imply that the word you've heard that God has shown you, if you hold on to it and you count it as a precious treasure and a prize and you hold on to it, the holding on is called abiding. It's continuing and so forth and holding fast. If this word stays in you and you keep it in there, he said the power that will come out of that is one of the purposes of faith. It's an abundant life. You ask what you will. And what do you say? It might be done. No, if you ask long enough and loud enough and get enough people to ask long enough and loud enough with you, it might work. That ain't what he said. I don't need a bunch of people to join me in prayer. If I have faith myself, I don't need any help to do this. See how awful that sounds? If when I pray, if I believe, me, inside, if I believe that what he has shown me that I can ask him for, and when I pray and ask for that, if I really believe I've got it, you can pray if you want to, but that ain't going to make me believe it more. I believe it because I believe it. He's given me that. I could never believe that in my other life. I can now because he shows me that. He shows it to us. And he said, if you abide in him and his word abides in you, you can ask what you will. Didn't he say earlier in our text in Matthew 17, 20, that nothing shall be impossible to you? Why doesn't that work in our circles? Any church, any Christian oriented church, any, any of them, why doesn't these things work? Why don't they work? 
Are they supposed to? Look at how the church has changed its theology to fit its dismal experience. And now, well, you know, that was for the early church. That was for another age. You know, he's not doing that today. Where do you say that? We know all those gifts and things have passed away. Really, has the church passed away too? Didn't he put the gifts in the church? Well, if he put them in the church and the church is still here, I imagine the gifts are still here. They may not be operating because people may not really believe it'll work. Maybe not looking forward to it or expecting it to work. I don't know. God sees hearts. Keep on going to your right and get to Romans again. Romans chapter 10 again. Look at verse 8. We're talking about how this word harema is used. Verse 7, he said, who's going to descend to the grave and who's going to go to heaven to bring Christ back because he's the one that's got all the power and all the answers. He said, you don't need to do that. We don't need to go get Jesus. He lives in your heart. He's here. But what does it say? The word is nigh thee, the rhema here. The word is nigh thee in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is a word of faith which we preach. Now, what is meant here by that? They say, the word that you can count on and depend on, they say, is that revelation that God has given to your heart. And I guess you can dismiss yourself from anything else that he said. And that's not so. But it is true that there are things that God specifically shows us that we've never seen before, but that he shows them to us. Ephesians 5, he said, how will he cleanse the church? He'll sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by what? The rhema, they say which means we're going to be cleansed and made holy and come to that place of glory because we're heeding the word that has been shown us. Well, I would agree with that. But don't leave out all the rest of it because all the rest of it is what proves that what you believe is so. That's what verifies it. That's what makes it what it is. What did he say in John 15, 3, to show you the difference between the Logos and Ramah? He said to his disciples, now you are clean through the logos that I've spoken. Whether you understand and have this definition that these old timers had 30 years ago or not, Jesus said, you are clean through the word, the logos that I have spoken to you. As the father gave me, he said, so give I you. As the father has spoken to me, so have I spoken unto you. What did James write in James 1:22? He said, be ye doers. Now, if that doers of the word, if that had been Rhema, it would say you're limited as to what you can do. You can only do what's been revealed. But Jesus, but it says there, be ye doers of the Logos. So you see, you can't make the big distinction out of these two words as a doctrinal separate thing. You cannot dismiss yourself or excuse yourself from having faith in God by saying, well, I don't have a Rhema for all of that. Because you have the word of God, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have time. If you are inspired, if you are stimulated in some way and stirred up, it's a signal to your heart to go home and search these things out. Doesn't this Bible say the Spirit searches the deep things? But he searches it as you look. Now, what if you get so busy in your life and busy in your day and you don't have time for this and you can't go to church tonight and you got all these distractions in your life? What happens to you looking? It doesn't come about. If we're not looking in the word, how will we ever grow up and change that we've said the last four weeks? Remember 2 Corinthians 3.18? 
as we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being changed into the same image even as by the Spirit of God? You have to believe that. You have to believe that, that it is necessary and vital for me to behold this word, to read and spend time with this word, and to ponder and meditate and think about this word because this is the process that brings me from where I was to where I'm supposed to be. And as I go, my faith is enhanced and I begin to see things I've never seen before. Ephesians 1. Go to Ephesians. Aren't you glad you get to use your Bible? Think of how much you paid for it. Well, I paid a lot for mine. I'm not going to write in. Then write in your wife's Bible. Take a note. Ephesians 1 and verse 17. I know you've been here before. This is one of my favorites, this whole book. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, that's know-how, and revelation in the knowledge of him. Let me ask you a question. Before we go any further, you've heard it before. Is it only by the Spirit of God that you can accurately know what the Word says? Now, you can naturally study this. You can naturally do your little Sunday school work and do all the little workbook things. You can naturally do all of that and derive a certain amount of pleasure and maybe see some things that, that really help your life. But you can never see the spiritual significance of this word and the effect it has on your heart until the spirit does it. The church at Ephesus was a bunch of born again believers. Paul's prayer, and he started the church and his prayer for the church was, he said, I pray that for you all, that God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, that he will give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes, in the next verse, that the eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your heart may be illumined or enlightened so that you can know what is the hope of his calling and the, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and on and on and on and on. Is it important that we see that? It's so important that Paul says, I pray that God will show you that. He didn't even mention, show you how to love each other better. He gets to that in the same book. But right here in the very beginning of this book, he says, I pray that God will give you that working of the Spirit that brings wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that you might see what God sees, that you may understand what God is showing you so that the effect in your life is, whoa, or whoa, or mm. Or, oh me, some way or another, this work of God never leaves you alone, never leaves you alone, always digging in there, always taking this old nasty stuff of the old life and cleaning you up and just smacking you around, you know, he, whom he loves, he was. Chasing, thank you. And so he set you in his courts and he says, I called you from the foundation of the world. You are going to heaven. Now, you think you're going because you're in a nice group of people, but you're going to heaven because you're going to learn what heaven's all about. And he begins to work on his little people and bring us to that place where, especially in a time like we're now in this life, with the world going crazy. Like John said, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above. And the more you do, grace 
adds to grace and it just begins to come. It just starts coming and you start growing. But you begin to get excited. I don't mean you get excited where you get like the village idiot running around. You get excited because something in my heart, like a stream running free, makes me feel so happy, as happy as can be. When I think of Jesus and the revelation of what he's done for me, something in my heart like a stream running free. Psalm 119, verse 18, he says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. If you don't, I can't. The natural abilities I have won't get me in the kingdom. No matter how socially refined I might be, I cannot get to heaven with social graces. I have to become like a little child. I have to learn a whole new way of living. And I cannot know that way unless God opens my eyes and shows it to me. This is the work of God, Jesus said in John 6, 29. This is the work of God that you may believe. Live believing something. Let the power of believing something put a stop before your mouth and guard your steps as you go through life. I found a new way of living, the song says. Oh, praise the Lord. Well, let me close and say this. I'm not done. We have some more things to say because I started out by saying, how can you know you have faith? We didn't even get to that. So we'll have to do that next time. But just remember, when you go home tonight, Simon Barjona, Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal to you who I am. Who am I? You're Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He said, that was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. It's not a natural thing, you understood. That was given to you by the Father who is in heaven. That was given to you by my Father who is in heaven. The sower and the seed, Matthew 13, 11 through 15. He said, they have eyes to see, but they what? They have ears to hear, but they, they can't hear. Jesus said, I speak to them in parables because... It is not given unto them to know the mysteries of the kingdom. It's not given to them. They'll hear what I'm saying, but they can't get it. But unto you, it is given. And he says, it's the spirit of God that gives us things. Folks, if we know this much, this much is better than that much. It's better than nothing. How do you say it? If you have faith as a grain of, uh, didn't we start there? Can it grow? And you walk around, buddy. Your Bible like a stick of dynamite under your arm when you go somewhere. That's what the word is. It's power. We all need it. And it's possible. Father, we give you thanks tonight in Jesus' name for your word, for the truth, for opening our eyes, setting us free, and blessing us. I ask you to deliver us all from everything that holds us back that our eyes will be opened wide to see what you're saying. And like children, like little children, just take you at your word. Just take you at your word. Grant that to us, Heavenly Father. We need it here so much. We need it so much to just live like the word is true. Just live like it's true, that you can be trusted that you watch over your word to perform it. If there are those that struggle and those that are dragging their feet, you're a kind and long-suffering God. And I ask you to 
deal with us, continue to open our eyes and hearts, work with us, bring us where we should be. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good.